This week on The Rail Splitter, the Abraham Lincoln podcast, we're talking about Lincoln in love in his early times in New Salem. To the Rail Splitter, the Abraham Lincoln Podcast. My name is Jeremy. With me this evening are Rail Splitter Nick. What's up, everybody? Listen to us as they clean up their uh, smash pumpkins because of damn Stewie in the neighborhood. Damn you, Stewie. And Rail Splitter Mary. What up, Rail Split Nash? So uh, it's good to be back once again. We This week we are going to talk about Abraham Lincoln's Romantic life, love life, however you want to say it, uh, in his early days in New Salem, specifically with two uh, young ladies, Anne Rutledge and Mary Owens. So cue your REM track, Everybody Hurts. We're going to go through a little bit of heartache tonight, go through a little bit of Lincoln's uh, Lincoln's difficulties finding a partner, his little... Uh, romances the ups the downs all that kind of stuff so um i think it'll be an interesting episode a little bit different than some of the stuff we've covered up to this point so we're excited for that but before we get into the tawdry details of abraham lincoln's early love life we do want to bring you a news story as we like to start uh, each show with lincoln in the news and i believe mary has a kind of a tie-in to the recent holiday of halloween with our Lincoln news story this week. Yes, I do. And it's called um, The Lingering Legend of Abraham Lincoln's Ghost at the White House. Um, So I thought this one, I came across it when I was searching for Lincoln news. And I thought since uh, it's so close to Halloween, like this episode is dropping the day after that, it would be kind of a cool thing, lighthearted to talk about. Um, So there's been apparently a few people who have seen Lincoln's ghost at the White House. And um, the article actually goes back a little bit um, just about Lincoln and his connection with spirituality and uh, ghosts and all that. It talks about the dream that he had a few weeks before he was um, assassinated, um, that where he he dreamt he was walking around the White House and he could hear people crying. And he walked into this one room and there was a coffin and he asked a soldier standing by the coffin who was dead in the White House. And the soldier said the president. So he did have kind of like apparently premonitions of his own death um but then it goes on to talk about uh just his mary lincoln having seances in the in the white house as well as different sightings of um lincoln's ghost in the white house so um apparently liz carpenter who was the press secretary to lady bird johnson told john alexander that mrs johnson believed she felt lincoln's presence one spring evening while watching a television program about his death and um grace coolidge wife of calvin coolidge uh the 30th president um she was the first person to see abraham lincoln's ghost and she said he stood at the window of the oval office hands clasped behind his back gazing out over the potomac um, which is kind of like the classic stance when we think of Lincoln. 
And then um, actually Queen Wilhelmina of the Netherlands was a guest at the White House during that period. And she was awakened one night by a knock on her bedroom door. She got up to answer it. And standing there was the ghost of Abraham Lincoln. And she apparently fainted. Um, And Eleanor Roosevelt used Lincoln's bedroom as her study. Um, So there's been, and she said she felt his presence. She could almost feel like he was looking over her shoulder as um, she was working away on things. So just quite interesting that there's been a few sightings. Um, I don't know how many of you believe in that sort of thing, but I personally think it's kind of cool. And it seems like, yeah, maybe he does occasionally frequent the White House, see what's going on there. Um, But anyway, I thought that was a really interesting story to uh, kick off the show, um, considering it's so close to Halloween. Yeah, I like the idea of uh, Lincoln kind of, Chilling over Eleanor Roosevelt's shoulder, mm-hmm. you know, ghost style. Mm-hmm. Uh, the movie ghost, that is, as she's like busting away at the study late at night. So, um, great ghost movie, by the way, ghost. So, um, but yeah, no, I think it's very cool. I'm surprised Lincoln, or excuse me, I'm surprised Nixon, uh, when he was getting plastered there towards the end, uh, didn't happen to see him in a drunken stupor. So, um, although he did take a drunken walk to Lincoln Memorial is supposedly the tale, but um, so maybe a Lincoln ghost told him. That, that's right. He pro- may, maybe Lincoln like told him to go there or something like that. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I first remember hearing about Lincoln's ghost in the white house when I was like seven years old and I was like, Oh, I want to go to the white house and see if I can find it. <laughs> Are there any Lincoln stories with like Ford's theater and stuff and um, out in that area? I not, wonder? not that I've, read about at all like i think i've read you know some former actors and actresses maybe haunting but not nothing about lincoln's presence being there the the one that i've most commonly heard about is him at the white house mm-hmm. specifically wandering around the lincoln bedroom what if every president died haunted the white house oh millard filmer's there then nick <laughs> no i mean like while in the office dude miller fillmore whatever <laughs> his ghost would be such a it would literally be a sheet over something <laughs> that's how he would choose to haunt people he would try to haunt them and he wouldn't be able to do it he'd fail at that because he's, he's just so ha- he'd be he's like, just half a ghost they'd be like oh it's breezy in here half a ghost <laughs> he disappears yeah fillmore's like damn it maybe chester a arthur's ghost is somewhere hell yeah <laughs> Chester A. Arthur, we need a Mo pick on him. That'd be a five star <laughs> banger. There you go. And we've managed to drop those two, Fillmore and Chester A. Arthur, within the first seven minutes of this podcast. It's nice to just get that out of the way. It so is, yeah. It's, it's like, whew, we don't have to worry about that anymore. <laughs> hey, I wonder if Chester A. Arthur ever saw James Garfield's ghost in the White House. That'd be creepy. So. Civil War General James Garfield. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Um, so, yeah, I think that the the um, stories of Lincoln's ghost in the White House, I, you know, I, I remember hearing about them, too, as a kid. So I think mm-hmm. they've kind of been around for, for quite some time, but still uh, pretty, pretty cool uh, around Halloween time to think about that. And um, it is weird, though, that all of the like the stories are not of any sort of like haunting or scaring. It's always like he's there saying hello mm-hmm. or. Just kind of, you know, like he's not freaking anybody out or 
making comments about the Confederacy or, you know, no. it's like, anything hey, what are you like watching that. on TV? Yeah, what are exactly. You watching? Exactly. So, um, I feel so, like yeah. if, if you really had a ghost, you'd be playing some tr- pranks, wouldn't he? Yeah, I'd be kind of in his nature I a think little he bit, would like be, lighthearted pranks. Yeah, not he, like he'd be the prankster ghost. Maybe he does, and they just don't realize that. Like he keeps knocking a pen on the floor over and over. I can see him just like laughing about it, ghost Lincoln. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> or you need to sign that document. Goodbye. <laughs> Aha, Taft picked that up. <laughs> Watch the big guy try to get the pen. <laughs> That's probably a little mean spirited. I apologize, Taft. <laughs> I like how the you put in the ghost pun in there too, Nick. That was good, mean spirited. Yeah. Did you even realize you did that? No. <laughs> A little bit of real splitter humor for you all there. <laughs> all right. What, what White House Perry would you like to see reenact the pottery scene from Ghost? What White House pairing reenact yeah, like, the pottery scene? Like you want to see Lincoln and Mary Lincoln? Oh, you know the pottery no. scene? Oh, my God. I can't believe we're going here. I'm going to say well, like Lady Bird and LBJ. Come on. Yeah, let's pick the... I, don't I want to see Franklin and Eleanor, just the, because the awkwardness. Like, yeah, you know, that would be re- that would be really little. awkward. That would be really awkward. Woodrow Wilson would be awkward. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He, dude, he doesn't come across as very artistic, so I don't. No, think that's why it would be so awkward. Handle the pottery, will? No, it would be really awkward. If you know what I'm saying, I don't really know what I'm <laughs> saying there, but you know, Reagan. I don't. That was. Um, what do you think, real splitters? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. All right. So <laughs> moving on from whatever that was, uh, the topic for today's show is Lincoln in love uh, or Lincoln on the verge of love or whatever you want to call it, where um, what was Lincoln's romantic life like before he married Mary Todd, making her Mary Lincoln? Uh, what can we learn about Lincoln's as a person, as a politician, as a president, as a leader, as a human, based upon what we know from his courtship of these two women. Uh, we talk a little bit about maybe the history behind what we do and don't know about uh, this and why it's a big deal. Is it a big deal? Do we think it's a big deal just because it's things we know about Abraham Lincoln or does it really inform the historic record and maybe even give us a little bit of an insight into the Lincoln person, which would give us an insight into the Lincoln presidency. So we're going to talk specifically about Anne Rutledge first, and then Mary Owens, the two uh, romantic interests of Abraham Lincoln's life uh, that he had before his eventual wife, Mary Lincoln. So uh, Mary, I'll turn over to you first uh, with Nick and I kind of offering some commentary um, about Ann Rutledge and Mary Owens. All right. So um, I just want to point out that first, the major difference um, when we're looking at these two women in regards to Lincoln is the sources. Uh, For Anne, there's no correspondence that exists between her and Lincoln. But for Lincoln and Mary Owens, there's letters. Um, She even had, you know, like she was even quoted as saying something about him. So there's much more substantial evidence for the relationship with Mary Owens. And that's sometimes why, as we're going to see, um, it's a little bit more talked about. It doesn't seem as controversial in that way. Um, so to begin with Anne Rutledge, there's a lot of controversy with her in Lincoln scholarship. Um, I think there used to be more controversy and now it's, 
I think becoming a little bit more accepted that they quite possibly could have had a romantic relationship. Um, and the reason for the controversy is the sources that do exist for her. Um, there is a really good article. Um, I think it's from the early nineties. Um, but it, I still found it relevant when I read it. It's called, um, Abraham Lincoln and Ann Rutledge and it's written by John Y. Simon and it's from the journal, the Abraham Lincoln association. And he has some really good quotes in there from other scholars about what they've said about Anne. And he kind of said, you know, he talks about like just this reluctance to talk about her and, um, you know, even a reluctance to say that, yeah, they did have a romantic relationship. Um, even that still exists today as well. But he quotes one Lincoln historian, Charles um, Strozier, as saying, Anne Rutledge may have been Lincoln's first love and her death may have prompted a severe depression on his part. But since there's no single thread of good evidence on the subject, the episode must be passed over quickly. And that's sometimes what we see when looking at his relationship with Anne Rutledge, which, um, I don't know, for me, I would prefer more about her because I think she did have an impact on his life. And um, at the very least, they were very good friends. And... um, Simon argues that Herndon may be the reason that Anne is sometimes seen as a myth or as a legend or maybe like, no, they didn't have a romantic relationship. They were just friends. Um, Herndon actually used Anne to attack Mary Lincoln because he and Mary Lincoln did not like each other. Um, he exaggerated. He is said to have exaggerated Lincoln's grief, and he even claimed that Anne died from emotional conflict, which to me, that is a little bit over the top. I think she probably died from typhoid and not like some emotional conflict, but this is something that goes along with Herndon as he, I think had a tendency to exaggerate, um, you know, stuff when it came to Lincoln. Um, and the romance has actually been dramatized in two early films about Lincoln. Um, young Mr. Lincoln from 1939 starring Henry Fonda, which I highly recommend watching and Abe Lincoln in Illinois from 1940 starring Raymond Massey, which I highly recommend not watching. (laughs) (laughs) That might be a little bit harsh, but that's just, I didn't like Raymond Massey as Lincoln. Um, Henry Fonda, on the other hand, was, uh, he was quite good as uh, Lincoln. But these two films do showcase the romance as being very pivotal in Lincoln's life. And I remember my mom, one time, she's seen the Massey film a few times, and she called me up after she'd watched it. And she's like, can you tell me about Anne Rutledge? (laughs) So... I had to tell her all about Anne Rutledge and she's like, I think he was in love with her. And I was like, I, I said, I said, mom, I do agree with you. And I said, but it's pretty controversial and all that. So she, it sparked questions, you know, which was kind of cool. Um, do you guys have anything to throw in at this point? I think uh, the, well, I'm going to go or you go ahead. I think the, I, I understand from a historian standpoint, if you're writing a very historic, you know what I mean? Like, uh, nonfiction book um it would be frustrating with ann rutledge you know the lack of resources the actual you know concrete good evidence tie talking about the relationship however from a historical fiction and for our, our podcast i think it makes for a fascinating conversation it gives you a lot of play with because there isn't a lot so you know especially from a creative standpoint mm-hmm. for some of the historical fiction novels we've read and has been a figure in there and i think the authors have had some you know, fun in a good sense where, you know, I, I don't think they got crazy with it, but but I think they, you know, definitely made you think about it and maybe how impactful it was. So from that standpoint, 
I think it could be kind of fun to talk about Anne and think about what she could mean to him. You know, I always kind of think it's like, you know, kind of that first teenage, early 20s love um, for them. It was like, the, that's the way I like to imagine it to myself. Mm-hmm. Who knows if it was like that? Probably not, maybe. But um, so I kind of find it fun. But from the historian, you know, Bone and me, I could see where it would definitely be, you know, frustrating. And it would be tough to dive in in huge detail because you just don't have any good concrete sourcing to go with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that just kind of combining those two concepts that you bring up, like, you know, the enjoying it, like, what was it like? What does it mean? Um, kind of making some inferences based on the, what we do have, um, I think is interesting to kind of get a peek into it. You know, anything, I think we, we tend, we meaning just, you know, people, students of history want to cling to anything that'll humanize Abraham Lincoln, particularly, but really any historic figure where we don't have video, we don't have recording, um, you know, so like we, we've got to humanize these people who we really only see in, you know, still photographs, if anything. Um, so this idea of him courting anyone or, or having a kind of a tragic love story, you know, kind of it becomes interesting, right? It becomes something that, that is fascinating. So then you got to have to kind of to reconcile that with the fact that we really don't even know a whole lot about it. And I think that a lot of people have made the mistake of reading too much into it and then using that to inform their opinion on his mental state, his mental health. Um, I think that it's well-documented and well-researched that Abraham Lincoln very likely had depression um, or some sort of melancholy, you know, whether it was a mood disorder or, or what um, I think it's pretty well accepted that he, you know, he probably had depression, but I think a lot of times it's so easy to point to this particular situation and say like, look, you know, look how upset he was, you know, he was possibly on some sort of suicide watch because of this, this loss that he suffered, uh, which may be very real, may not be, uh, whether it, I think you could read that to be his first real touch with heartache, or maybe it truly is depression. You know, I don't know how, you know, it's very situational, you know, and, and could very well be the first time he went through a loss of that kind since he was so young when his mother passed, you know, he was obviously that was traumatic in a much different way. Um, but it's so tempting to read super deep into that. You know, he lost Dan Rutledge and, and was just devastated for months and couldn't get out of bed. And so that equals him suffering or suffering or having or living with depression. Um, I think both things are true. He probably, you know, he, I think he did suffer quite a bit from this loss. Um, I don't think you can draw a line necessarily from that to his depression. I think there's other evidence that would make, that makes it a little more, I don't want to say real, but maybe like a little more symptomatic of, mm-hmm. of a lifelong like con- mood disorder condition of depression, as opposed to um, struggling with loss, which is, um, a little different. Um, but I do think that it is a compelling story. Um, I, I have read Michael Burlingame's work, uh, of course on Abraham Lincoln's, um, pre-presidential years. And he takes the track of 
looking at the Mary Owens courtship, which we're going to talk about next, as a an example of um, or a way to kind of inform both other sides. So you have Anne Rutledge before Mary Owens and then Mary Todd after. Neither one of those, we have a whole lot of data or a historic record on the actual courtship, um, the specific elements of the courtship, meaning their correspondence, what they may have said to each other or felt about each other. But we do for Mary Owens. Um, so he kind of um, uses it to say, like, it doesn't directly inform us what his courtship of, of Anne Rutledge was or his courtship of Mary Todd, who became Mary Lincoln, was. But perhaps it does. Um, so this one's a little different, and I think it shows a lot more about Abraham Lincoln and perhaps a little bit more about the psychology of Lincoln as well. Um, so that'll be interesting for us to get into. But as far as Anne Rutledge goes, you know, clearly um, because of Abraham Lincoln's early life with essentially working to survive on the frontier as a young man, going down the Mississippi River, you know, giving everything he earned essentially to his father, um, working just enough to be able to scrape by, didn't really have an adolescent romantic life like we would now don't now know. The teenage years weren't then what they are now, and they certainly weren't for Abraham Lincoln. So I do think that him experiencing loss as a young man has a lot of probably similarities to many of the heartache that young people go through. I mean, obviously she passed away. I don't want to, I'm, I, I'm not trying to make this sound like a breakup. Um, but I think that his um, difficulty in overcoming that was probably because it was, you know, his first real mm. exposure that we know of to any sort of romantic interest, romantic love. So he probably had those feelings that many of us get as teenagers or, or, you know, young, young people. Um, perhaps this is obviously very much conjecture. We don't have anything to really base that on, but I kind of, in my little way of taking a very small amount of information and extrapolating things that I probably don't have a right to extrapolate. Um, I feel that, that, that the extent of his grief probably had a little bit of roots in that this whole idea of like, that was my love and she's gone. I'll never love again. You know, I, there's no point getting out of bed. Um, and his handling that loss a little more, more intensely perhaps than he may have otherwise, I think has some elements to that as well. So um, very intriguing story and probably pretty common, you know, because mm -hmm. life expectancy was very short, especially in the frontier. Her dying was very similar to Lincoln's mother's death where, you know, we really don't know the cause, but it could have been any number of things based on the infections and disease and lack of medical care that was around. So, um, yeah, Ann Rutledge, um, often misunderstood, probably often perhaps overanalyzed like I just did, <laughs> but still a very fascinating character in Lincoln lore for sure. Oh, thank you both for that. You both raised some really good points. Um, Nick, I just want to say that, you know, you talk about the historical fiction aspect. And I've often thought that too, you know, history versus historical fiction. And the most recent example that comes to mind is Jan Jacoby's book, um, Young Lincoln, where he had Anne as a character in that. And I thought he handled the relationship very well. Um in, in the book. Um, and I would highly recommend actually reading that book and also listening to the episode where we had him as a guest. It was a really fun, interesting episode. And uh, Jeremy, I just want to say like regarding Lincoln's depression, like I think you, like you said it very well, you know, like sometimes it's like exaggerated, like his grief. 
mm-hmm. um, and all that. And I mean, for me personally, as someone that who I have suffered from depression my whole life, like, yeah, like an event like that can trigger it, you know, but it's not like, it's just one of those things where I've often thought like, this is not the cause of Lincoln's depression. This is something odds are Lincoln had the, you know, the depression from an early age. And of course, even if the it was just a friendship with Anne, they were very, very close, and he's going to be upset by it. But we don't know if, like, his grief was exaggerated either. So mm-hmm. I think you both hit on some really, really great points about that. Um, so the sources uh, for Anne, as I said, William Herndon, who the opinion of him is sometimes not very favorable. And uh, Mary Lincoln did not like Herndon, nor what he wrote about Lincoln and Anne. Herndon claimed that Anne was Lincoln's only true love, and Mary referred to Anne as being a myth. Now, if I was Mary, I would be pissed if I heard that. That if some guy, like, and Herndon's reasons were they had a falling out. And, like, that just, it's like, wow, you're using, like, a woman who has passed away as kind of a weapon against her. Um, But I think, you know, with what Herndon did, I don't think that's a reason to discount Anne because you have to remember the bias that is going into Herndon saying that and keep that in mind when we're looking at Anne Rutledge. And then another source is J.G. Randall, who's a Lincoln historian during the first part of the 20th century. He discounted what Herndon had to say and included a part in his biography of Lincoln that challenges the story of Anne. And um, he states that the information Herndon gathered was contradictory And Ruth Randall, J.G. Randall's wife, author of Mary Lincoln Biography of a Marriage, discounts the Anne Rutledge story to referring to it as a legend. So this is where the basis of the controversy and reluctance to sometimes mention her comes in. Um, So on to Anne. She was born on January 7th, 1813 near Henderson, Kentucky. So pretty cool that her and Lincoln are both from Kentucky. And she's the third of 10 children born to Mary Ann Miller and James Rutledge. In 1929, Anne's father, along with John M. Cameron, founded New Salem, and Anne's father opened a tavern there where, as we know, Abraham Lincoln stayed, and that is where he met Anne, and Anne was actually involved in the management of that tavern. And the opinion of Anne was quite favorable. She was thought to be a very intelligent young woman, um, also very beautiful. Her brother James said, my sister was esteemed the brightest mind of the family, And Anne's cousin described her as being a beautiful girl and also as bright as she was beautiful. So she's a very intelligent woman. And we do know from um, Lincoln marrying Mary Todd eventually that he was attracted to intelligent women. And Mary Lincoln was like an incredibly intelligent, independent woman, um, as we know. And I think Anne probably was this way, too. she was the only female to attend Mentor Graham's New Salem School. And there's actually a copy of the textbook she used. I didn't know this. It's at the Library of Congress. And uh, it's got her signature on it. So when I found that, I was like, this is really cool. This is like, like, there's her signature on on this textbook. And Graham described her as being an exceptionally good scholar in all common branches, including grammar. Um so she's developed, she develops a friendship with Lincoln, and it's claimed to have turned into a romantic relationship, but she was actually engaged to a guy named John McNamara, and he was from New York. 
He had a store in New Salem with a man named Samuel Hill, and he acquired a lot of property from the profits they made at this store. And he assumed assumed the name McNeil for not so great reasons. There was, I think, some financial things going on. And in 1832, he leaves New Salem telling Anne that he has to return to his parents, but that he would eventually come back to marry her. And at that time, vows were held for a very long time. So it's not just like six months he hasn't returned. No, it would be like two years, you know. Um, So in the summer of 1835, Anne became ill with what is thought to have been typhoid fever, and she passes away on August the 25th, 1835, at the age of 22. And as we know, Lincoln did um, mourn her death um, and was very much saddened by it. Um, So when it comes to Lincoln and Anne, Ronald C. White in his biography, A. Lincoln, he discusses it quite extensively. And he said that Lincoln is said to have been very shy around women, but Lincoln broke through the shyness to court young Anne Rutledge. And um, as I said, he came to know her through her father's tavern. And um, even though she was engaged to this other guy, McNeil McNamara, um, they still became friends. And White does state that how their rela- relationship blossomed into romance is is not known. Um, do you guys have anything to throw in at this point at all? A two-year courtship. Uh-huh. Ridiculous. And you don't even see the person? Nope. Dang. That crazy. Nope. One source I read, too, said that, like, because Lincoln was the postmaster, he knew that she wasn't getting letters from him. Because <laughs> he would have seen the mail that came in. Strategic. I like it. Yeah, I don't like what? <laughs> um, so, it's White speculates that Lincoln and Anne may have... Um, you know, they came to an understanding and they may have just kind of said, we're not going to get married because, you know, not only does she have this other guy, but also because he doesn't have a full-time profession at that point. He's just a part-time legislator and she wished to pursue more education, which I could totally see Lincoln supporting her in that. And, um, she was apparently contented to wait a year for their marriage, um, after their engagement until Lincoln was admitted to the bar. And but unfortunately, Anne's up and passes away from typhoid fever uh, in 1835. And the reaction that Lincoln had, we all know it very well that he was very depressed after she died. Um, and he had lost his mother and sister, as Jeremy mentioned. So this probably brought back memories of that too. And Elizabeth Abel, who Lincoln was staying with at the time, said that it was a great shock to him. And I'd never seen a man mourn for a companion more than he did for her. He made a remark one day that when it was raining, that he could not bear the idea of it raining on her grave. And um, Robert Rutledge said that the effect upon Mr. Lincoln's mind was terrible. He became plunged in despair, and many of his friends fear that reason had deserted her throne. Um, So there's some pretty, like, kind of, like, very much, like, yeah, he's definitely in deep mourning for this woman. Um, And while White states that the residents of New Salem may not have known the exact details of the relationship that Lincoln and Anne had, um, but they did say that extraordinary emotions were regarded as strong evidence of the existence of the tenderest relations between himself and the deceased. Um, So that is Anne Rutledge, and that is her relationship with Abraham Lincoln. And um, so now um, we're going to talk about like how Anne is perceived uh, today and 
to me, she still seems like a very controversial figure in Lincoln scholarship. And there's still a lot of debate if they had a romantic relationship. And I don't know about the two of you, but sometimes it seems like people are reluctant to say that they had a romantic relationship. And I'm wondering, like, is this because, like, some people don't want to see Lincoln as having, you know, more than one tr- one love in his life at all? Or, like, what do you guys think about that? I don't think Lincoln, like, part of, like, is, like, how we perceive him. Like, you got Kennedy. We'll just use an example. Mm-hmm. Like, we know he was a playboy. Oh, um, yes. Kind of, you know, he kind of had that quality to him. I think a lot of people's eyes, we don't really have the playboy. Like, to us, Lincoln doesn't have that playboy trait to where, you know, like a lot of his, we just don't focus on that for whatever reason Mm -hmm. with Lincoln. It's more about his leadership, his tragic, you know, his early death, the tragic death, uh, you know, all the obstacles he had to overcome to become a president is more of the narrative than how his romantic relationships were. Mm -hmm. Um Obviously, I, I I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with all that. <laughs> I, I do think, though, for whatever reason, we don't think of Re- Lincoln. All that stuff's secondary. And I think that's why Mary gets ignored a lot. And I'm not quite sure why that is. Yeah. But, yeah. I don't know, boys. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I part of me is like, what does it really matter? I mean, yeah. you know, like because it's the mid 19th century, like there's this obsession, like, you know, ooh, what did they do? Like, whereas now it's like, well, who, you know, they dated. So of course, you know, who get, who get, who cares? Like, you know, um, but because of the, you know, the socially acceptable behavior at the time for people who weren't married was a little bit different publicly. Although I don't think the humanity of anybody was different then. Um, I don't really think it matters all that much aside mm-hmm. from the fact that she was, I guess, engaged, you know, but of course that was different than too. It's not as if, um, I mean, relationships were just a little bit different than um, this whole idea that I think that kind of gets overlooked is that she was engaged and they were like, well, her and Lincoln were going to be engaged, but they needed to wait until she could break off her engagement mm-hmm. to McNamara. Like, you know, you could look at that as being kind of shady, like, man, uh, you know, what what are they doing? Like, is she she just stringing this other guy along and just waiting for him to get back in town so she doesn't have to break up with him over text? Like, you know, how, how does how does that work? Yeah. Or maybe McNamara is a genius, knew she was going to break up with him. So he's like, I'm going back home, <laughs> knowing the rules of the time. And he could always be like, I got a lady. She's in Springfield. And then she can never break up with him. It's actually genius on his part. Perhaps it is. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. But again, I think that that's another just kind of example of what people fixate on is and and try to make conjecture on that. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really matter, you know, like whether or not they consummated the relationship or what that even looked Mm -hmm. like, or even if that, whatever, you know, who cares? (laughs) I don't think that informs us anything about Lincoln other than he had blood in his veins, like, um, or Ann Rutledge or anybody else, like Mm -hmm. um, what they're, what their courtship looked like since we don't have a whole lot of record of it. Um, I don't, I don't know what that really matters other than trying to, trying to get at what, what her loss really maybe meant to, to Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just want everybody to know that I thought of five inappropriate jokes during uh boys talking there and I refrain. 
Congratulations. Uh, Good for you. Good. Um, I'm maturing as we speak. Yes. So did uh, Ann Rutledge get ghosted? (laughs) Dude, she died. Oh, man. (laughs) Too soon. Too soon. (laughs) Like you stopped talking, or was that catfish? I don't even know what I mean. (laughs) No, ghosted was pretty bad since she died. Yeah, Yeah. ghosted. Yeah, I know. I get that. So... (laughs) All right. Oh, and I'm eighteen thirty-five. Come on, it's not too guilty soon, of yeah. laughing at that. That was yeah, good. <laughs> um, I know for me, it yeah, like I don't think too much about what their courtship would have been like. I just I think it's more for me. Like I don't like it when she's like kind of cast aside and called like a legend. You know, I think she uh-huh. was a good friend to Lincoln. She obviously had some kind of impact on his life, and um she doesn't have a like a quote unquote voice in history because we don't have letters from her. So it's so easy for us to make um, these assumptions about her. But, you know, I don't, I also don't think it's fair to be completely negative to her and say like, "Ah, nah, she didn't, you know, there was like nothing there or whatever. Um, Like we'll never really know. And, you know, there's this controversy because Herndon was a source. So we don't know if some people, if he's exaggerating some of this stuff. And um, Lincoln may very well have loved her. And if he did, good for him. And I think it kind of, you know, looking at the women shows the human side to him. And that he, you know, he had these kind of awkward moments with women, probably. And that, you know, I'm sure he and Anne were, like, they were students together in Mentor Graham's school. So I think that too, like they obviously had that bond over over education and how important it was. And um, I, I think that's the point. I mean, whether they had a romance or a friendship, I, I don't think it matters either way. I, no. I think the importance is there was definitely some type of friendship there. Yeah. What type of degree? We'll never know. But, you know, I definitely think they knew each other. They were exposed to each other. They're mm-hmm. both, you know. Um, interested in further their education, you know, all that leads, you know, I don't think it's a crazy conclusion to draw that. Yeah. They obviously probably talked, had some type of connection. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I guess I'm going back to what you said, boys. So I don't think it really matters at the end of the day, mm-hmm. whether it's romance involved or not, there was definitely something there. Yep. I, For sure. I think. Yep. Yep. Um, and then, so, not long after Anne had passed away, Lincoln struck up a courtship with a woman named Mary Owens. And the sources for her, as I said, are they're much stronger. There's there's letters. Um, we know more of how they interacted. Uh, Mary Owens even uh, spoke to Herndon and gave him her opinion of Abraham Lincoln uh, when he asked for it. And she was also from Kentucky. She was born in 1809. Um, in Greene County. She's from a wealthy family, and she had a fine education. Uh, she's the sister of Elizabeth Abel, and Lincoln boarded with her. And this is how they met first in 1833. So they'd known each other for a while by the time they started courting in 1836. And she's also a cousin of Mentor Graham. She was described as a good-looking woman with dark eyes, black hair, and a generous figure, and she exhibited a, exhibited a spirited and witty personality. Um. So in studying the relationship between Mary Owens and Lincoln, it's much easier than, than studying Anne Rutledge. Mary Owens is not really that controversial of a figure just because we have physical, like, you know, we have that physical evidence of letters and, um, and her own words about her relationship with him. 
so um, White states that in looking at this relationship, it does reveal that Lincoln had deep insecurities within himself in relation to women. And David Kent, in his book, Abraham Lincoln, The Man Who Saved America, he states that the relationship is almost comical. And I don't know about you two, but I kind of agree with him on that, that it is almost a comical sort of, there's parts of it that are funny. I agree. Um, And not for ways that maybe some folks have kind of framed it as comical. Mm -hmm. um, Because here's why I think it's, it can be kind of funny and and revealing of Lincoln at the same time. Um, Some people kind of make jokes because Ann Rutledge was at least now a lot of historians kind of say that the the general thought of her back then was that she was very beautiful. Um, And the, the um, what is written and recollected about Mary Owens is, is not that she was traditionally beautiful or conventionally beautiful, however you want to say it. Um, Berlin game kind of quotes a lot of different people saying that um, she was five foot five. She was plump weighing between 150 and 180 pounds and considered not pretty matronly, muscular with a massive angular square prominent and broad forehead uh, fair skin deep blue eyes and, a, and dark curling hair um, and there's a lot of um, a lot to be made of Lincoln um, th- much of their courtship was through correspondence written correspondence because she wasn't in New Salem and then when she came to New Salem a lot of folks mentioned that Lincoln told people that she didn't look like he he remembered her looking or something along those lines that Mm -hmm. she wasn't as attractive as he was thinking of her in in his head or how he remembered her. Um, And then that, then their, their courtship kind of fizzled out. But um, I think what is kind of could be kind of humorous is that I think what actually happened was their courtship fizzled out and he was heartbroken about it and then told his buddies like, Oh man, you know, like he covered it up essentially basically saying like, I'm not going to say she turned my proposal down. I'm not going to say that she really, it just, it just didn't work out. And she kind of, and she kind of broke it off. I'm going to say, I didn't, I wasn't really feeling it. I was, she wasn't, she didn't look like what I thought she looked like, you know, kind of playing it off, which is a, you know, kind of a dude thing to do you know mm-hmm. is to say like oh yeah um apparently you know it's kind of a defense mechanism right like oh yeah i was totally into her and she wasn't into me but you know i'm gonna make i'm gonna say bad things about her now um so i think that that could be kind of funny where lincoln was mm-hmm. actually kind of heartbroken and kind of rejected and um kind of probably feeling pretty self-conscious about himself and down about himself and responded by telling people that she didn't look like he thought she looked, you know, and, and he wasn't, you know, I wasn't into her anyway. Like, yeah, it was, you know, that's happens. People do that all the time, mm-hmm. you know? So. I, I do agree. I actually reading through their relationship a little bit more closely um, with the research I had to do for this episode. I, I did think that too. I'm like, Oh, he's totally like, he's doing this because he doesn't want. It's like, yeah, she, she totally rejected me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there was um, that like right after Anne passed away, apparently the women in the village were um, trying to encourage Abraham to look for a wife, and so Lincoln thought that he met Mary and he thought that she was intelligent, intelligent and agreeable, and saw no good objection to plotting through life hand in hand with her. 
1836, Elizabeth Abel traveled to Kentucky to visit Mary, and she half-heartedly said, oh, I'll bring her back if you'll marry her, Lincoln, you know. And um, Mary at the time was 28, and she was reaching an age when society would label her as an old maid. And um, so Lincoln boasted that he would marry marry her. She returned, and then he found himself in a, like, I think a little bit of a bind mm. in that case. And um, so White describes their relationship as flowering, but from the beginning it also prickled a little bit too. And this is one comical thing about their relationship. So they're out on horse, they're out horseback riding one day with friends. And of course, like it's a bunch of couples. So you're paired together and they had to cross a stream. So all the men are doing the 19th century gentlemanly thing and they're helping the ladies cross the stream. And then what's Lincoln doing? He's riding up ahead and Mary Owens is crossing the stream on her own. So then she comes up next to him and she says, you are a nice fellow. I suppose you do not care whether my neck was broken or not. (laughs) (laughs) Which I'm like, oh my God. She threw him some 19th century shade right there. Um, and Lincoln replied that he knew she was plenty smart to take care of herself. I think you just seem kind of being like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I didn't really, yeah, I guess, you know, I know that you put it that way. I mean, I suppose I could have looked back, but I it thought never occurred to me. Yeah. It's just, but I think that kind of highlights like, you know, just this awkwardness that he kind of had around women and maybe he didn't really know what to do but then mm-hmm. you know good for him for thinking that about her too like i mean today i would be like oh thank you for thinking that and not treating me like i'm some kind of delicate flower you know like glad you recognize that about me but 19th century norms are obviously very different than what we're how we're living today mm-hmm. um you know and yeah she probably was quite capable of crossing that stream but because everybody you know all the other men were doing it that's probably why she thought like oh well he what is he doing? Like, why isn't he helping me? <laughs> right. Reminds me like my grandparents. Like, you know, my grandpa forgets to do something because they've been together so long that maybe he's not chivalrous. <laughs> and they're giving her a hard time. Typically, though, when you have those moments starting or um, at the beginning of a relationship instead of decades into it, uh, yes. usually not the best sign. It's kind of expected decades into it. <laughs> yeah. When you're first starting, that's not, it's not like, what are you doing? Oh, you know, it's like, okay, I'll, you know. Um, so White describes Mary and Lincoln having reached an understanding just as he had with Anne Rutledge. And Lincoln leaves New Salem for Vandalia um, for the session of the state legislature. And um, Lincoln writes Mary while he's in Vandalia. He's very open with her about his feelings too, which I think shows the friendship that they had in that, you know, he had trust for her and being open um, about things like this. And he said, with other things I cannot account for have conspired and have gotten my spirit so low that I feel I would rather be any place in the world than here. This letter is so dry and stupid that I am ashamed to send it. But with my present feelings, I cannot do any better. So he's confiding in her. And he's actually said to have done that with some of the older women in New Salem too. But I think this shows kind of the, um, I don't know if you two would agree with this, the level of comfort he had with her that he's, you know, telling like, Hey, I'm not doing well right now in a letter to her. Mm-hmm. It reminds me like, uh, every once in a while I get like a high schooler will like do his homework or they won't do it. Or it'd be like, they'll just be like, 
Yeah, I know. I, I did do the reading last night. I'm sorry. This is terrible. And then they'll hand it in. And then you'll read it and you kind of, like, all right. I feel <laughs> sorry. I don't want to remind me of it's like, uh, kind of like a high schooler, just like, yeah, okay. You know, this letter sucks. I know. But here I did my best. Here I'm you trying. go. <laughs> yeah. So at least I'm writing you. I'm not out with the boys. Yeah. So I don't know if that shows maybe some of his immaturity towards relationships at that time or I, maybe just some of the honesty that you lose when you get older. I, I don't really know. I think, yeah, I no, Yeah, I think that's a good point, too. Like the immaturity that he did kind of have towards women, I think, uh, just because he didn't have a lot of experience with them. And he is older at this time, too. Um, and he said that he started white argues that he starts looking for a way out of the relationship with Mary. So when he's living in Springfield, he's writing Mary saying this thing of living in Springfield is rather a dull business. At least so to me, I am quite lonesome here as ever I was anywhere in my life. And he seems to be almost telling her in these letters that she wouldn't like it in Springfield because she's used to, she's accustomed to an extravagant, more extravagant lifestyle. But I think that's more him saying like, the self-doubt is creeping in and he's saying, I don't know if I can give you this extravagant lifestyle, you know, that, you know, and I don't want you to be looking at the other, you know, the, the richer people in town and comparing yourself and thinking, why don't I have that? So it's almost like, I don't know if he's really trying to get out of it or if it's just his self-doubt that he had about himself because he still was not too successful as a lawyer at that point. Yeah, I think there's a. I think the whole Mary Owens story reveals quite a lot of the inferiority complex that Lincoln had. Um, this, you know, kind of feeling that that he carried with him really throughout his life, and certainly, in many ways, I think it made him a better president, a better politician. Um, but I do think it's real that he, you know. And this is a good example of where that inferiority complex either shows itself or maybe even partly originated from where this whole broken romance with someone who um, would have been a decent match for Mm -hmm. him, you know, to use kind of how they talked about it then. Um, You know, I think that, you know, it it seemed to be something that could have worked well for him. You know, she was from a, from a similar family to the Todd's and and from Kentucky. Um, And, and it just, you know, it didn't work out. It, mm. it, it, it kind of fizzled. And, you know, ultimately the the feeling was that he at least said he was sticking with the engagement because he felt it was his duty because he kind of had told, told the sister he would uh, proceed with it mm. and kind of felt like he should. So, you know, there's this kind of feeling of, of duty that he had to, had to honor the engagement, but didn't really want to. And then of course she didn't want to, cause she ended up breaking it off. Um, but this whole feeling of like, man, why did it not work out? And, you know, and even this, this person who I thought wasn't maybe the best for me, I, apparently I wasn't good enough for her. Um, so then he kind of has this inferiority complex mm-hmm. I think, that, 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 that sets in pretty, pretty strongly. And I think this is a, a good example of, you know, a fairly, um, normal i guess or typical there's nothing there's nothing about the mary owens story that's interesting had it not been abraham lincoln if this was any i mean even even famous civil war figures mostly like this story would really not matter much at all and not be interesting at all 
if it weren't Abraham Lincoln, but I do think it does show a little bit of that, of that inferiority complex that he developed where, you know, he always, you know, this kind of combination of him being ambitious and, um, you know, at least somewhat, you know, knowledgeable of his own abilities, but at the same time feeling, feeling like he didn't belong, feeling like he wasn't good enough um, and, and kind of wrestling with that. And, and I think that sometimes leads to ambition too. You got to kind of prove to your, not only prove to everyone, prove to yourself, prove to himself that he was, that he did belong there, that he was capable. Um, and who knows if he ever convinced himself, maybe not until he made it to the white house. Uh, but this is definitely an early example of him kind of, I think feeling that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, there seems to be a lot of self self doubt um, mm-hmm. that he has. And in August of 1837, he goes to New Salem to visit her and he wrote her a letter on the day they departed. And he says, I want in all cases to do right, and most particularly so in all cases with women. If you feel yourself in any degree bound to me, I am willing to release you, provided you wish it. Well, on the other hand, I am willing and even anxious to bind you faster if I can be convinced that it will in any considerable degree add to your happiness. If it suits you best not to answer this, farewell, a long life, and a merry one attend you. So he's throwing the ball in her court. She never answers that letter. Um, that would be ghosting, Nick. That's what that's what ghosting is. Yeah. So Lincoln was ghosted by Mary Owens. Left him on red. Yep. Well, I bet she regrets that. Yep. <laughs> well, she went on to um, she married a guy named Jesse Vineyard and moved to Missouri. And her Who? and her Je- Jesse. Vineyard. No, I know. Yeah. Who <laughs> exactly? Exactly. Made Any, the wrong anyway, choice there, Mary. Her, her sons fought in the Confederate Army. <laughs> Yeah, which, which I did not know. Um, Lika got the last laugh there. Yeah, he, he did. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. I guess never mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Lincoln, and this is where he does this whole thing that Jeremy kind of mentioned before about like, kind of like being all like, yeah, she didn't want to say that he was rejected, mm-hmm. but. He told one person, or told one woman, her skin was too full of fat to permit it contracting into wrinkles, but from her want of teeth, weather beaten appearance in general. <laughs> like he's just, it's like, Damn. really, dude? Yeah. <laughs> um, and he but, could, be, he could uh, be kind of an ass at times. <laughs> that. But he did say his vanity was deeply wounded by this reflection that I had been so long been too stupid to discover her intentions and at the same time never doubting that I understood them perfectly. So I think that's showing his self-doubt right there. That oh, he, for sure. He didn't for really sure. know what, what to do. But then to go and say like that she's like fat and all that. Like, and, and again, I think this is another thing that shows like – just he's a human. He's upset, and he's probably saying stuff he doesn't mean, and mm-hmm. kind of like, oh yeah, I don't want to say I was rejected by her. Um, and Lincoln was depressed after the relationship ended. Um, he's others may others have been made fools of by the girls, but this can never be the truth said of me. I most empathetically, in this instance, made a fool of myself. I have now come to the conclusion never again to think of marrying, and for this reason, I can never be satisfied with anyone who would be blockheaded enough to have me. <laughs> that's that's the classic Lincoln line from this whole story. Is, yeah. And a lot of people take that, you know, 
um, as a sign of that inferiority complex or like a lack, lack of self-confidence. But that's kind of the, the Lincoln line, I think, that comes out of this whole story. Um, and, uh, yeah, Berlin game kind of highlights that as um, kind of a, you know, interesting Lincoln line as well. So mm. pretty cool. And Mary Owens had this to say about Lincoln. He was deficient in those links which made up the chain of a woman's happiness, at least it was so in my case, that it not proceeded from lack not that it proceeded from lack of a goodness of heart. So she's recognizing that he was a good person. They were just not a good match. And she also said his training was different from mine, hence there was not that congeniality which otherwise would have existed. So all she's saying is it just was not a good match. But he had a good heart. Yeah, and that's pretty accurate. So yeah. um, so that was kind of a quick tour through those two courtships of Lincoln. You know, there's quite a lot more there, but, you know, we don't want to take, we don't want this to be a three-hour love letter of, or, a, you know, soap opera, I guess, of, <laughs> of Lincoln's love life. So any thoughts that you all have, definitely throw it on the Facebook group, that which has been very active. And um, just today, I think there was like three posts about mm-hmm. Miller Fillmore, which were all hilarious. I know. Um, so keep up that. That's a very, very nice break in my day to check out the stuff that comes on the Facebook group. Um, or of course you can always, um, tag us on Twitter. We're at the rail splitter pod. Um, before we go, we do have a couple weekly features though, that we do like to include the first of which is of the people by the people in which we talk about something we've seen through the social media world about abraham lincoln um usually it's from one of you all in rail splitter nation sometimes it's from a bigger uh audience or something i guess i don't know not 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 necessarily social media post but just something else that's posted out there so mary or nick do you have a of the people by the people i do okay go go for it okay so mine comes from the facebook page um it was from tr historical enterprises posted uh later or earlier today um, he said, not Lincoln, but thought of Nick when I saw his boy Fillmore on the list. Yeah, I saw um, so that. So it was a tweet good. from Presidency's podcast that was asking, which of the four listed below would you be most excited to see as a bobblehead? Millard Fillmore had only 7%. His competition was, uh, competition was John Quincy Adams, Rutherford B. Hayes, and Taft. Why, why the hell did Fillmore even make the damn list? Chester A. Arthur. Be That'd be a good bobblehead in all yeah. seriousness. That would be a good one. Uh, uh, go, you going, boys? Yeah, I had one from the Washington Post, which is a little bit bigger than a individual hey. media post, but I liked it because I thought we uh, didn't get that at this uh, at this podcast anymore. <laughs> well, it was I. I got it through the Twitter. Sidney <laughs> um, Blumenthal, who was an advisor for President Clinton uh, and wrote the political life of Abraham Lincoln. Um, which is a five volume work. Um, he wrote an article on October 10th um, that was just kind of retweeted or reposted Abraham Lincoln, comma, Washington nationals fan. And the whole article is talking about why Sid Blumenthal believes that Abraham Lincoln would have been a fan of the Washington nationals. So I bring that up just because it is, Game seven of the World Series. Uh, the Nationals are currently down two to zero. So hopefully, when you listen to this, you'll. Um, I'm kind of pulling for the Nationals for no good reason, uh, but um, but it, uh, Sid Blumenthal's argument is that uh, Abraham Lincoln would have been a Nationals fan because he knew the founder of the National League, which of course the Nationals are named after. He liked baseball. 
um, and that. So um, I just realized the reason I want the Nationals to win, they just showed a camera shot of their bullpen, and the God amongst men was standing there, <laughs> Hank White himself. <laughs> Those of you in Cubs Nation know who Hank White is, of course, the great Henry Blanco, former third-string catcher for the Chicago Cubs. And uh, he waved at us once when we were at a Nationals-Brewers game. That is true. True story. Uh, my, for the people, we the people, people, whatever it's called, <laughs> um, comes from the Facebook page as well. Also posted earlier today from the great Ben Holmes. Uh, you, ben. And he has a Christmas gift idea for me. Miller Fillmore. <laughs> Dude, I, I'm not drinking, I swear. You would think. Uh, all right, so there's a Miller Fillmore 13th Annual Report for the Pennsylvania Anti-Slavery Society, uh, and a pamphlet is signed by Miller Fillmore himself. And this thing is going for $2,850. That is asinine. <laughs> that is $2,849 more than what it should go for, for crying out loud. And so, it's being sold by the Abraham Lincoln Bookshop, which um, yes. Bjorn Skaptison was a very great guest we had a few weeks ago. Um, actually, Nick, they might that might be what they pay you to take it. Oh. In that case, <laughs> they're going to have to go up. I'm going to need 3000 at least to take it. Yeah, but no, two great uh, Fillmore posts. So I don't know. If there's a Funko Pop, I might buy it. A Fillmore than burn it. So I'm getting you a t-shirt with Fillmore on it for Christmas. Just saying. That's... It'll be my dust rag. <laughs> you can wear it to the 200th episode gathering. There you go. At Miller Fillmore Presidential Museum. Yes. In Buffalo, <laughs> New York, right? Yep. It? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then our next weekly feature is the This Week in Lincoln, which is where Lincoln shows up outside of the normal historic mm-hmm. context. I'm going to just real quick throw out there a This Week in Lincoln light, since Mary does have one to share with us. But um, I do think it would be appropriate to mention the presidential race thing that they do at the Nationals games, yeah. just because they are in Game 7 of the World Series. Abraham Lincoln is one of them, and it's very cool to see Abraham Lincoln in like that giant character, you know, cartoon character kind of outfit thing that they do for that president's race. Um, so that'd be kind of like a mini one, I guess, um, just because they are in the World Series. But our official full size this week in Lincoln, Mary, take it away. Okay, so this one was one that was tweeted um, to me by Jacob Thomas. He's at Thomas underscore 17 on Twitter. And he said, one of my favorite ones I've carved this year. And it is a pumpkin that has number 16 on it and it's got like kind of the side profile of abraham lincoln and it looks really really cool um so jacob thank you so much for that um i will be sure to tweet that from the real splitter facebook account um or tweet it from the real splitter facebook account <laughs> nice there I like we it. go that's good okay great tweet it from the Real Splitter Twitter account and posted on the Real Splitter Facebook page on Friday once we release this episode. Um, so that is our This Week in Lincoln. Um, so we've had a couple references to Halloween since tomorrow. Well, by the time you, you guys listen to this, Halloween's long over, um, but still happy belated Halloween. 
um, because this episode drops on November the 1st. So that was our This Week in Lincoln. All right. It's a hell of a carving on this pumpkin, just for the record. It is. It is. It's really amazing. Yeah. I feel like last year we also did an Abraham Lincoln pumpkin. This one's different for sure. That one, I think, had like a speech carved into it, too. This one is like a lot more like this one does a lot more of like the different depths of carving, like shows different light kind of thing. Um, which is super impressive. Um, I barely was able to get the shapes that my children wanted on their jack-o'-lanterns, yeah. um, and I called it a win. So I have a lot of respect for that, uh, the ability to do that. So, um, well, thank you all for listening to episode, I think, 107. Yep, we're at 107. 107. Uh, so thanks for tuning in. Mary or Nick, any parting thoughts before we sign off? Uh, thank you, Mary, for doing the research. Great job. Oh. Considering uh, I came very ill-prepared today. You're welcome, and you did awesome. Both of you did. (laughs) Thank you for chiming in with your thoughts. Um, And I just want to say that uh, Real Split Nash, you rock. Thank you for posting on our Facebook page, on Twitter, all the interactions. And I think we are actually up to 1,100 followers on Twitter right now. Dang. And we'll, yeah, and I... You know, we all, I think, take take control of that Twitter account and make sure we're tweeting yeah. and all that kind of stuff, too. So, uh, once again, thanks, everyone, for listening. If you're going through a breakup or a loss, you can look to Abraham Lincoln. He bounced back okay and, uh, you know, did just nothing more than save our country. So, you know, there's life after a breakup. There's life after a loss, uh, just like Abraham Lincoln showed us from what we talked about today. So uh, thank you all for listening once again for rail splitter, Nick and rail splitter, Mary. I am rail splitter, Jeremy reminding you to continue to walk the world with males toward none and charity for all. And we'll see you soon.